Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. And this has to be an expedited edition, because we have been doing so much talking before we started recording that we now... But we have a sermon series that we're going to preach together. So we're excited. Yeah, for the next month, we're going to preach the same... Um, the same texts and the same series. Although and it's been a while, it since has we've been done a long time yeah. since we've done that. But it's really fun because then um, I can steal your stuff. <laughs> so then we get together and we can like, you know, it's really workshop stuff. It's really really good. So, uh, so what is astonishing you this week? Well, what's astonishing me and what I'm thinking about the same thing, um, and that is my own uh, resilience. I've been thinking about resilience. Um, because I really don't see myself as a very resilient person. But now that I'm 50, in retrospect, I can see that I am much more resilient now than I was in my 20s, which is odd to me because we tend to think of younger people as stronger, faster, better, uh, more resilient. And um, I've just been thinking a, a lot about um, my own resilience and the, the resilience I feel in this season, being astonished by it. And uh, several things come to mind. Number one, uh, when I was younger, I was not aware. Well, I was aware, but I didn't pay attention to my limits. Mm-hmm. As a 50-year-old person, I... I see my limitations and I stay within certain boundaries. There's some um, term in physics, and I can't think of what it is, but uh, it says that you can only pull a spring so far before it stops springing back. Tension. Well, no, it's... Tensile it's, it's something? Some, it's some kind of law. It's somebody's law. Okay. I can't remember. Hmm. But um, Google it. Not now. Oh. Not. I'm just saying to everyone. If you really want to know, if you want to challenge him, go do the Google. To go to the physics. Google. Yes. He's 50, so he'll send you to, to not to the Google. The Google. Yes. Uh, but in in my 20s, I would constantly live beyond my limits, yeah. and and I would get exhausted and would quit things that I started. Well, now it's like, oh, stay within certain boundaries, and you can go further, do more. It's just better. And that's that's wisdom. So it's not that I'm actually stronger or more resilient. It's I think I'm wiser, which gives me more resilience. Right. Well, I mean, I know you have more than one thing to say, but I like we were talking about this as we were walking and um, saying like part of the challenges like our the culture is having a lot of conversations about resiliency and grit right now for obvious reasons with the pandemic and um, you know, as people are, are evaluating like their tolerance for risk and, sure. you know, we're just being told that everything's going to be fine because we're resilient. And, um, I, I think one of the challenges is, is that word, yeah, how the culture understands res- and celebrates resilience is just not, um, there's, there's not a perfect overlap between the values that we have as people formed in Christ. And so this idea of, yeah, I think you're right. Like the culture celebrates resilience as 
you know, knock down seven times, get up eight, and that you are going to, by persevering and enduring and maybe being responsible and working harder, you're going to triumph and move past the the challenge or the lack. And what we are um, learning in Christ is that in, you know, in our weaknesses, so in our limits, you know, our, our resilience doesn't come in over, doesn't come in overcoming our limits, but in acknowledging them, accepting them, and then looking for God um, in, in the overflow or the, or the, or counting on the grace of God that makes what we are more than the sum of our parts, right? That, that sense. And I think the church in general and preachers in particular can send a message to both church and society that when it lifts up certain virtues like patience or resilience, that it's about willpower. Right. So we talk about these virtues in a way that says, okay, you just need to try harder and that's another thing that I think I'm finally learning at 50, that it, it's not about my willpower uh, in resilience. It's, it's about my weakness. And if I will embrace my weakness and lean on Christ, then I can trust that when I'm weak, he's strong. Um, my, yeah. uh, his, his power is made perfect in my weakness, as the scripture says. Yeah, and I think part of, and again, like I just wouldn't use the word resilience, especially right now, just because of all the mm-hmm. different places that conversation is happening. Um, but I, because I think, like you think of someone like David or Gideon um, or even Abram, like they they were not they didn't become who they became in the story of the people of God because of resilience or because of trying harder or even because of having wisdom and knowing their limits, like none of, and they didn't achieve anything. You know, they were used by God to glorify God's self, to accomplish God's purpose. And so I think that, you know, that is what is difficult as we live in a, in the, we're trying to have a conversation in the context of a broader cultural conversation that's all about like, how do I get what I want with God? Mm -hmm. And that is not the goal, both in our relationships with Jesus, and it's certainly not the goal that is um, laid out for us in the grand narrative of scripture that we are reoriented to, like, what is God doing? And how can I be a part of that? And, you know, if you look at the grand narrative of scripture. Um, it's kind of like, what's the phrase? Like one damn thing after another. Like, it's mm-hmm. just one, like there's no point where people like ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. And I feel like a lot of the like context around this conversation of resilience is like, just get through this bad patch mm-hmm. and be responsible. And then, you know, you're going to, you'll live happily ever after. Like, don't let this defeat you. And like what we see in the witness of scripture is that like, there are seasons, like whatever to everything, there is a time under the sun. So there's just times of famine and times of plenty. There's times of war and times of peace. And the reality isn't like when we screw up, we get the bad seasons. And when we do good and make God proud, we get the good seasons. Like the witness of scripture is in good seasons and in painful seasons, God is with us, and that is our hope, and that is where our resilience comes from. Yes. Not this idea of like, 
oh, I'm good because I did good or I'm bad now, but I'm going to do good and then I'll get good again. Like that is not our spiritual calculus. And I think that's what's so hard for us even to hear because we hear that so loudly and constantly in our culture that we can't help but have that message in our ears when we're reading scripture. And then, you know, you find what you're looking for. And so it's just easy to say like, well, David had faith. And so that's why he killed Goliath. I and mean, that's not what the story is trying to tell us. The story is trying to tell us, look at this mighty army that was paralyzed. Look at where God's deliverance came from this twerpy little kid who wasn't even supposed to be there and actually was kind of a fool, both in his encounter with the lion and the bear and, and Goliath. Like that what we're supposed to learn is not be like David, but look at God. So yeah. Yeah. In, in my thinking about resilience, I'm, I'm really reflecting on, you know, this moment that we're in, um, in the midst of this pandemic and the politics within it and beyond it. And, um, you know, we are a tired, <laughs> uh, weary people and, um, we're overwhelmed. And so I'm asking myself where, where will the fight come from? Where will the, um, keep putting one foot in front of the other come from for myself? How will I keep going in this season when I have known myself in other seasons in life to quit? And I am realizing that it's not about my willpower. It's not about... Um, again, better, harder, stronger, do more, but it is a trust in Jesus, his being with me, his, and, and leaving the results to him, just maintaining, um, walking in faithfulness and saying, Lord, I'm yours. The church is yours. The world is yours. So I'm going to be faithful and leave the results to you in seasons past my breakdown has been, I want to control the outcomes. I want to control the results. And that just doesn't work. Or, you know, we, we believe, even though we know better, we believe the comforting lie that since I love God and God loves me, good things are going to happen. And so then when good things don't happen, we have this really deep and painful soul wound because it's not just that we have to deal with the bad thing that's happened. It's also that we feel like, okay, well, like, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. Does this mean that I don't love God re truly, or I don't love God right? Does this mean that God is mad at me? Or even more terrifyingly, does this mean that God isn't God? Mm. And this whole, this whole truth that I've, the rock that I built my life on is not a rock after all. And again, I think that, if we allowed scripture to form us instead of looking for scripture to confirm our biases, sure. then we would see clearly that scripture is honest about the fact that God, bad things happen to people God loves. And sometimes bad things happen to people God loves because they are stupid and faithless and made them happen. <laughs> And God doesn't protect them from the consequences of their actions. And sometimes bad things happen to people God loves because 
other people are stupid and faithless. And sometimes things just happen. Like I'm thinking of that time. And we don't understand why. And, you know, when Jesus is talking to the to his disciples about some tragedy, a collapse. Was it a collapse of a, a temple? Tower collapsed and, and, yeah, and he was saying like, do you died. think those people who died, do you think that God was mad at them? Like, do you think that that's a sign that like you're good and they're, you're in and they're out? Like, that's not how it works. And, and, but we still, even though, you know, we would answer that question correctly on a theology exam, we still like, it's just hard. That bell is ringing all the time mm-hmm. and it's hard not to like, salvate to it so yeah so i'm all of this conversation is one reason that i'm excited about this series that we're going for um it's gonna be good (laughs) but god (laughs) but god it'll be good let's have a little confidence it's it's gonna be great it's gonna be great so so what's astonishing you well i um i mean relatedly i was confessing to you that i um this past week was preparing and living with the um, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in preparation for worship on Sunday and getting to preach, which I had been out of the pulpit for two Sundays. So I was really um, happy to um, have this work to do again. And, um, and I just had this really incredibly powerful um, and life giving experience in worship um, and, and specifically in the part of worship, not, not in the preaching moment, <laughs> be clear. Um, but, you know, in the beginning of our worship service is a lot of music, which I just find it's, it's funny because I look back to how resistant I was to changing the culture of worship and to like exploring new kinds of music. And I just had been indoctrinated that contemporary music was bad and, you know, traditional worship was the only quote, real worship. And so I was very just threatened and resistant and I didn't want to do it. And, um, you know, and so the amount of life and strength and joy, um, I get is just a real lesson to me continually about like when God asks us to do something, even if it feels like a sacrifice, it's a gift. And so it's just such a gift to me and every Sunday, but this Sunday in particular, um, the, the worship portion filled with music was so life-giving to me. And it was, and we were singing, um, you know, uh, we were singing, I will build my life upon the rock. It is a firm foundation and I will trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. And it, and it was so interesting because I had been studying the passage of the Pharisee and the tax collector and the, the Cliff's note version is a Pharisee. So a religious person walks into worship and just, like stands in front of God and prays this prayer about how great he, the Pharisee is. So it doesn't walk into worship and say like, God, you're so great. You made the universe. You forgave me. Thanks for my, you know, he stands and says like, I gave you thanks God that I'm such a righteous dude. And I'm not like a, I'm not an evildoer and I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not like that tax collector over there. I tithe and I fast and it's good with my soul. And I just thank you for making me, me. Like, I thank you for how great I am. Right. And it, and I was, and that is, like the Kate Murphy version, but I think a pretty accurate translation. Oh, and, good. um, and I was working with this story and studying it. And I notes in my preaching journal about, you know, this was a man who came to worship, but he was worshiping himself and not to God. And he wasn't looking up or out to God, but he was looking inward at himself and sideways at his neighbor. And how often our faith is constructed in that way. Like we look for faith communities that will affirm and mirror back to us our self-righteous 
understanding and we look for a faith community that will tell us like those people are bad and those people are worse than you and we're like we're the chosen because we're, we're better right, right and like we don't look for a faith community that will lead us to repentance we look for a community that will make us feel righteous and i'm writing all that stuff and thinking you whatever preparing for the sermon but then also just personally um, it's just an overwhelming week, I think, which is not unique to me, obviously not at all unique to me. Like we have some people in our church who are dealing with just real tragedies and it's just a hard moment of transition and so much anxiety for families about sending kids back to school and like, what are we doing? Like keeping them home is terrible, but sending them back is terrible. And who can we trust? And are we being, you know, it's just, it's, it's really hard. And I, and like with the church leading a church right now, there's just so much tension between like, are we, are we doing enough? Like, are we, are, are we rightly ministering to people? Are we serving our neighbors in the way that we can? Or are we being lazy? But then also, are we doing too much? Like, are we asking people to put themselves at risk? Are we ignoring what, I mean, like, it's just a really fraught time for people in all kinds of different contexts, me as well. And I was just kind of walking around all week feeling like, gosh, like I'm, I'm just doing a shitty job and I'm not working hard enough and I, I'm being lazy and I'm not, I'm overwhelmed and I'm just reacting and I'm not being purposefully and I'm not thinking deeply and I'm not praying enough and I'm not worshiping. And like, I just was walking around all week long, just feeling like, like I was not being resilient enough, right? Like I was not being wise. I was not trying hard enough. I was getting overwhelmed. I was under the circumstances. And what is a believer doing under the circumstances? You should, you know, just, I just was really burdened by my self-evaluation. And I wasn't walking into the sanctuary thinking like, hey God, I'm awesome. But I was walking into the sanctuary being like, oh gosh, like I'm, God, I'm really holding you back, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, you know, like all week long, that's just kind of where, where I've been. And frankly, like where we are a lot and I think where the culture wants us to be, like if you feel like crap, you'll try harder, I think is what, you know, many people's work in educational philosophy is explicitly. Like let, you know, turn to the one on your right, look at the person on your left. By the end of the semester, only one of you will be here, right? I mean, like there's just this idea in the culture that the best way to get to people to perform is to threaten them, yes. right? Or to withhold affection, like tough love. And again, I think that seeps in and begins to form our image of, of who God is with Absolutely. us. And so I just, you know, I'm just working with this text, literally writing down that this Pharisee's challenge weakness was he was looking too much at himself and not as much as God. And yet like, that's exactly what I was doing all week long and feeling like that self conviction was divine conviction. And then you just walk into worship and you're singing the song and you're like, oh gosh, like I'm not, I mean, and let me just be clear. Had I had a different kind of week, I could have been walking into worship being like, I mean, I'm smart enough to know what words not to say, but I could have walked into worship feeling a lot more trusting in God because I'd crushed it, right? Like I could have felt like like 19 people contacted me and said, let's join the Grove and I got a huge grant and I, you know, I got an award. And like, to be clear, none of these things ever happened to me, okay? But if I had had a different kind of week, I would have felt much more joy in coming up to the house of the Lord. But because I had a week where I just was so steeped in my own not enoughness, you know, and then just to get into worship and realize like, oh, the Lord was trying to talk to me 
like I literally in my own hand have written down that like the challenge is to focus on God and not on yourself. And yet I was still doing that. So just had this moment of, of burden lifting and transformation and worship and just being surrounded by people I love and people that God is drawing to like what God is doing in this community, not me, what God is doing in this community. And you're like riding this wave and it is the most exhilarating and precarious life-giving, joyful, terrifying thing of like, you know, this is amazing. I feel like I was made for this. Also, I'm not in control here (laughs) and it could go away at any second. And you fall into this trap of feeling like you should be doing the things to make it continue to go instead of recognizing like, yeah, no, you got to keep living with this whole open-handed, precarious vulnerability thing because this is what we were made for not to be triumph, but just to be like exhilaratingly vulnerable before the Lord. And I just, you know, was just astonished by all of it and wow, really that's grateful. Good. That's so. good. One of the privileges for me in this preaching life, one of the things that astonishes me, is the kind of thing you're talking about where you spend, you're privileged to spend a lot of time studying the scripture and you're preparing to teach and preach um, God's people. And you have this moment where the word by the power of the spirit has an effect upon your own life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the same week as you're preaching a particular message. And sometimes it comes weeks or maybe even months later and God will bring to mind something that you you either preached or you studied. You may not have said it in the preaching moment, but you studied studied it. And um, it, it, it is a wonderful experience to have God work in you like that. It, for me, it I, I just count it as one of the highest privileges of this work that we do. And I would say like what I believe um, and like preaching is one of the preaching and sometimes... And often in the pastoral care movement, this happens for me too. Like when I'm, someone comes to me and says like, you're my pastor, so I want to talk to you about what's going on. And like in those two moments, there are just times when you're like, oh, some, what is in me is not of me, right? Like something is happening here that is really sacred. And I know that I'm not manufacturing it, right? And that is such a... um, it is a really indescribable experience and and I, and gift. And I would say what I really believe is it is not limited to the pastoral offices, right? So I just really believe that whatever we do for the Lord, whatever, if you are working in a call center, if you are a teacher, if you are a bus driver, if you are a stay at home parent, if you are living in an assisted living facility, like whatever your life is, if you are walking through it saying, here I am, Lord, like use me, um, send me into my own life and, and, and let me be a vessel of your grace and, and your healing ministry and your presence in my own life and in other people's like that. I just think that will happen. Like I don't like this happens to me most frequently in the preaching moment. But I think that's also just because I'm, I'm primed to awareness in the preaching moment. Well, I think you're right to say it happens in the lives of all God's people, but it's the same process. It's the, 
It's the Spirit of God and the Word of God coming together in the heart, mind of God's people to bring an awareness, right? We see something, we realize something we didn't see or realize before. Um, I think as, as preachers, if someone were on the outside looking in, they might be a bit astonished that we have those kind of moments. I, I don't think yeah. they would be astonished to have those moments, but um, I, I think uh, to, to know that we can spend hours studying and preparing a sermon, a teaching, and then the day of, <laughs> before we climb into the pulpit, yeah. a revelation hits. Pops in your head, and like, you're like, I didn't, I know. And I guess the only thing I want to say is if you're listening to this, and you, if you're listening to this, <laughs> if anyone's listening to this, I love that so much. And I love this so much. And I don't want anyone to think like, oh, I'd like to have that experience. So where can I preach a sermon? Like, I mean, oh, go, right, get to right. preaching if you yes. want to, or if the Lord calls yes. you, but, but it's really about hearing. It's about, it's about a contact with the, the text. It's the about scripture. being used by yes. God for ministry. Right. And, and being aware that as Rob Bell would say, everything is spiritual, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, so this wonderful thing, this experience that we get to have quite, quite regularly is not because we're preachers. It's because we're disciples of Jesus. And so I want everyone to experience this. And I want it to be clear that this is one of the things that that great reformation teaching of the priesthood of all believers, that that's what this means. So, so there are, um, activities that the world would consider mundane or ordinary, or even, you know, just not, um, not at all sacred that are sacred when they're done unto the Lord. And I, and that's not a, that's not a cliche and that's not me. I mean, that's what I, if that's not true, then none of this is true. Mm. So, um, so do I, we, <laughs> this is our expedited position. Um, and we're rapidly running out of time. Do you want to share what you're thinking about? I already did. Oh, because you... <laughs> I'm both astonished and thinking about um, resilience. Um, well, then I'll just share briefly um, that I am thinking a lot about some things that I've seen about the Christian church in Afghanistan and particularly, you know, you get a lot of um, things through YouTube. I get a lot of things through social media, like Facebook and Instagram and, and all of these things we should just on the one thing hand, it's great because there's no gatekeeper. And so things can, can get an audience that they don't have to be, you know, things that some people wouldn't care about can get, you know, so that is great. On the other hand, there's no gatekeeper. And so you don't always know what is true. And sometimes things are not helpful. And, but I'm thinking about this this uh, dispatch I saw shared by some people that I admire deeply who who were talking about essentially the I, the thought was, okay, there's a Christian church in Afghanistan. They've gone into hiding. But in these days, a um, few days before the withdrawal of American troops, um, the one Christian church in Afghanistan has gone from 300 to 2,500 members. And and people were praising God for the spiritual growth of that community under threat of persecution and just really trying 
um, tragic times. And I, I just, um, I am thinking about that and I even hesitate to put words around it because, um, I just, I, I believe that actually that that is how the church grows. Um, that in times when the foundations of the world are shaking and there's no security that, that people find, um, peace when they're staring at death and powerlessness, they, they find a peace and a courage and a life in Jesus that, that is transformative. And, and I trust the Lord that there are, I mean, are saints of, of light in Afghanistan who are working to share the gospel and to provide courage and generosity and hope and community and life, um, to their neighbors. And, and to say that like the threat of the Taliban is real and our salvation never lay in the Americans. And, you know, so I, that's just such a sacred thing. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm praying, um, and, and praying with a great deal of, of guilt and shame at the ways that our country has destroyed so many lives, um, in this, in this 20 year war. Um, and, and, and also I worry <laughs> that sometimes the context which within which that statistic, which may or may not be true. And if it is true is certainly something to celebrate, but the context is sort of like, well, terrible things are happening, but look, the church is growing. And so somehow it's all okay. It's okay. And I, and I just think like to really name that tension of like, do I think that the church grows in great times of tribulation? Yes, I do. Um, and I'm thanking God for it. And do I want American Christians to be comforted by the fact that children are still being exploded in American drone strikes and the Taliban is potentially going to hunt down people and kill them and burn musical instruments and that like, and I, you know, I mean, it's just hard because on the one hand, I know not as much as I should, but I, I know the sacred history of the church and I know that the blood of the martyrs is the fertilizer and the root of the church. And I, and I just don't, it, it we're not worthy of them. Like we, the world is not worthy of the saints who are laying down their lives to walk in the way of Jesus in Afghanistan and other places right now. And I just feel like my lips, you know, should not even speak their names. Right. And so I just, I, it, I in no way want to dishonor the glory of that witness but I do want to challenge American Christians who look at that and then somehow think, okay, well, I don't have to grieve the suffering of the innocents there. And American Christians would look at that and say like, okay, so God is protecting the Afghan Christians. And I guess those who aren't Christians, like too bad for them, but I don't, like they're not my brothers or sisters, you know? So I just, I just, you know, I'm just thinking about that. Yeah, like, do I a, want the church to share to that? And I think American church should see that, like, look at what is growing the church there and think about the quality of life and the truth that's being preached in that place. And is it compared to the truth that's being preached in our neighborhoods? And, 
And if it's not, why not? Because the truth is the truth wherever it's being proclaimed. And like if the message that we're proclaiming on a Sunday morning would have no relevance in Afghanistan right now, then we should shut up and sit down. And like this isn't a game. <laughs> and um, Yeah, sorry, we very much want an either or kind of feeling about things, right? Either it's okay or it's tragedy and we, we have to learn how to do both, um, um, rejoice in what's good and grieve what's not good. Um, and I just don't want Americans to be thinking like, oh, well, everything that we've done has led to the growth of the Christian church in Afghanistan, so that makes it all all right. Well, yeah, that's like saying the, the way the, the Spanish conquered the Americas or slavery in North America was okay because it resulted in more Christians. Right. right. And that's just a, that's a blasphemy. But I think a lot of people, because we don't want to really think about what it means that there's a cross at the center of our faith right. and that we're called to pick up our cross mm -hmm. and deny ourselves and lay down our lives, that that's not just like what the super elite Christians do. That's what the real Christians do. Well, it also highlights, um, the complaint that some in this country, some Christians in this country have had about um, the persecution of the church, religious liberties. I mean, there, there have been some uh, of our brothers and sisters who have said that the church in America is under persecution because, um, you know, they don't want to make cakes for gay couples. And you can have um, a debate, an argument uh, about that subject. But to say that the church in America is persecuted does a great injustice to the places yeah. around the world where the church really is under persecution, like people's lives are in danger. Right. And that we don't get to somehow assume some sort of like virtue because of the persecution. Of, I mean, because like, I think a lot of Christians will say like, well, since Christians are being persecuted in Afghanistan, that means it's me next. And I all, you know, and that's just, you know, a, a really offensive um, and dishonoring thing to claim. So I just, I'm, yeah. Well, I'm, it allows you not to critique your place and your privilege in the empire. Right. And that is the bottom line. Like, mm -hmm. We need to wrestle with the fact that there are Christians in Afghanistan who are suffering and whose lives are very precarious right now and who were not made to be martyred. And we need to wrestle with the fact that we are Christians living in the empire and that the global power dynamics that they are suffering under, we are profiting from. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, we're out of time, right? You want to talk about what we're preaching? Yes, we 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 <laughs> are on preaching we. a new worship series called "Remember Your Spirit," which Yolando got from the Church of Oprah. <laughs> oh, that's so wrong! Well, I mean, so wrong. Factual. That just sounds weird and creepy. That sounds creepy. Oh. Well, I was I was doing a Google search for something, and I can't remember what it was. And one of the things that came up on the Google was. <laughs> was um, a, a clip from the Oprah Winfrey show back when uh, the show was in Chicago. And and she had a, a segment called Remember Your Spirit. And that line just stuck with me. It's like, remember your spirit. And I thought, that is a word for me and us in the season when there is so much to do and we're tired and exhausted. 
we just need to remember our spirit. And so um, we're going to, we're going to, yeah. And I think series. particularly like we are people who just get so caught up in doing for and the doing, Lord yes. and, and really recovering that what are doing, if we are called to do anything at all, and that's a big if, but if we're called to do anything at all, it, it flows out of our being and our being comes when our spirit is reconnected yes. and refilled and renewed in the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So, so that is the idea that we just want to um, speak that word to our congregations right now who like, like most pe- people, we're just, we're overwhelmed. We're yes. depleted. We're, we're depleted yeah. and we want to operate in a, in a spiritual overflow. And if you're depleted, that means you're going to have to be real intentional about um, the refill of your tank. And what the world, what the culture is saying to people who are overwhelmed and depleted is resiliency. (laughs) And what we are trying to say is like, no, no, not like that. Like remember your spirit and here's, and here's how we do that. And, and so um, this week we're going to start out with acts two. 42 to 47, which is just sort of a description. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, and um, they held all things in common. They sold what they had and gave to people, anyone who was in need, not just fellow Christians, anyone who was in need. And so, oh, that's good. Yeah. And so, we're just talking about those simple practices which do not require buying a book or going to a conference or perfection or, or, Spending money, you don't have to put right. that in the budget. Put Bible right. study the, in the in the budget. And right. I think there are just some things that we know how to do that we despise mm. the steps that we can take because we want to do something that seems more important or more mm. heroic or you know, and and we can't do that. Like this is what the early church did, and you know, as that um, the patient ferment book that I've been reading about the early church, like in that era, that was the only time that the church growth happened uncontaminated by the empire and, you know, the weapons of war and power and the threat. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be good. Uh, So thanks for listening to us this week. If you want to find out more about what is happening at Derida Church, uh, you want to go to deridaprez.org. That's D-E-R-I-T-A, prez, P-R-E-S.org. You can look at their YouTube channel. Uh, which they are posting, y'all are posting your worship services on YouTube probably Correct. like Sunday afternoon. So you can go in person at 1030 or you can um, watch the service on YouTube and streaming is is in transition right soon. now, but it's coming back soon. And if you want to find out more about what is happening at the Grove, uh, you can go to our website, which is also slightly out of date, thegrovecharlotte.org. We're looking for a new ministry coordinator, just if anybody knows anybody <laughs> within commuting distance. Um thegrovecharlotte.org. You can go to our YouTube page, um, which the great and kind Carl has been updating with sermons. And um, you can listen to our podcast, uh, thegrovecharlotte.org. Also, thanks to Carl on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I wish everyone could see your face when I say that because it's just awesome. The gestures, the hand gestures he makes every week. Um, Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.